Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. Andrew out sick today. We talked with defensive line today, and there was a lot of guys. Larry Johnson, JT Tweemalowal, Jack Sawyer, Jaden McKenzie, that's a lot of Jays, Caden Curry, Tyleek Williams, and Taiwan Malone all smoke. Spoke. Excuse me. Not smoke. That's smoked. Well, there was some smoke. <laughs> there was some smoke, but they didn't blow smoke. smoke. Yes, was some blowing smoke. Nathan, I think the big conversation with Larry Johnson at this point coming out for last year, maybe it's a big conversation or maybe it's just a conversation that has prolonged here. And that is why Larry Johnson rotates the way he does. And you and I got a chance to have a conversation with him about it after he was done speaking. He got asked some questions about it while he was actually speaking and listening to him talk, going back and listening to him talk and also sitting here thinking about it on my drive home, I think this defensive line, I think its floor is maybe higher than it's been under day. Because 2019, I thought the top was obviously, I mean, Chase Young is Chase Young. That's the top of all top. I think he's at higher peaks. Um, Davon Hamilton, I would consider him part of the top, a part of the ceiling of why that defensive line was what it was. But when you look at the depth of Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimaloal, Kenyatta Jackson, and Caden Curry at edge, while you have Tyleek Williams, especially going out to get Taiwan Malone out of the transfer portal to add to that depth, Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton, I think that floor might be the best we've ever we've seen under Ryan Day in a way that it would make sense for why Larry Johnson would be able to rotate the way he's rotated in the past without seeing a drop-off in talent. Am I thinking too deep into this? Yes, Uh, only because there is no Chase Young. It does not appear to be a Chase Young here, and I know what you're saying as far as the floor, but the floor of production for 2019 was still going to end up being higher because there was a Chase Young. And I know we can speculate as to whether one of these guys really kind of takes a jump, but... I wouldn't go, but I I do think there is maybe a case to be made for just the depth of this defensive line. 
and the depth at what they can do at all four positions. By by all four, I just mean two defensive ends, two defensive tackles, not talking about the Jack, because that was one of the things today. Like Larry Johnson still very much is kind of like, oh, are we going to use the Jack? So he hates I don't it. Know. That wasn't he, an impression. He, very, he hates that it. That wasn't a Larry Johnson impression, by the way. <laughs> no, he, <laughs> he clearly hates that position. He hates yeah, it. That wasn't. It, it's very, every time we talk to him about the Jack, it's, that was a terrible impression, which is why you're saying it's not. I, it wasn't an impression. An impression. It but wasn't an the impression. The stain. <laughs> yeah, it's just the disdain in his voice. Anytime he has to talk about the, the Jack, and then he went on. He said he's not coaching it because yeah, he also brought up the fact that sometimes it can be linebackers. So go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if I hear disdain, but I definitely hear disinterest. Yeah, he he's here to coach defensive ends and defensive tackles, and uh, that's what they're moving forward with. So I do think that they're going to go four deep. I mean, I guess if you start to think about it this way, like the worst defensive end in a four-man rotation right now is Caden Curry, probably. Yes. And that's pretty good. Like there's a, I mean, Caden Curry would start for every other team in the Big Ten, maybe, except maybe, I don't know, Penn State, Michigan, what they have, maybe. But like a vast majority of teams in the Big Ten, Caden Curry would either start a defensive end or be the primary backup. And a defensive tackle, you you start, like however you want to stack those guys up between Hall, Malone, Williams, Hamilton, Jaden McKenzie, a fifth-year guy who Larry Johnson said some nice things about today. So now, now you've got if that's your fifth guy again, I think Jaden McKenzie's a guy that you could take him around the Big Ten and start for a lot of teams probably. And some of that is just the the dearth of talent at a certain level in the Big Ten. But again, it, it tells you that. So I think you're right. I think that it, this may be. I don't know if it's the highest floor in production under day because Chase Young always throws that off, but it might be mm-hmm. the highest floor in terms of depth of talent. And I think that is important because of this conversation that we want to have about rotation, because it's not Larry Johnson that's driving this conversation right now. It's I mean, part of it is the media asking him and Ryan day about it, but Ryan day himself has come out now in the preseason and said, I think our best players will play more than they have in the past. And Larry Johnson is sort of agreeing with that up to a point. Which I want to stay on this conversation because since we talked him over on the side, it made sense in this scheme. Because I asked a question while we were still talking with him because I was just going around asking about JT and Jack. And I was asking, I asked Jack, I asked JT, and I asked Larry Johnson the exact same question. How do these two players complement each other? Because they didn't come in here with the same skill sets, and they're not totally the same skill set. But Larry Johnson gave a coach speak answer that really wasn't a coach speak answer when he started talking about how you need both defensive ends to be able to do the exact same thing because of what this scheme is. You can't have them be too different because the offenses can attack that. In this scheme, your defensive ends have to be able to do everything. It can't be one guy's a run stopper and the other guy's a speed rusher or a power rusher or vice versa or whatever. They have to be able to do everything. And then when we were talking with him over on the side, he went even further into that of – you have. It's almost, he said you have to create a world where they can't double team anybody. Everybody can't get double teamed, right? So you have to have four guys out there you can rely on. Yes, obviously – Everybody in the world will take Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa. That's lovely. And when you have that, it's great. But as you've mentioned plenty of times, Davon Hamilton had a big impact on that season. You know, B.B. Landers had a level of an impact on that season. Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison had an impact on that season. Fast forward to 2023, 
JT might be awesome this year. Jack might be awesome this year. But what would help them be awesome is if Mike Hall and Taiwan Malone and Ty Hamilton are just as awesome on the inside. And so teams can't just key in on one guy. And I think the example he used was the fact that with screens and how fast offenses are, they're kind of moving. Right. They're making you run. They're making your defensive ends run a little bit. Well, yeah, and that's what started this sort of side conversation was he had said something during the table session along the lines of mm-hmm. that Nick Bosa and Chase Young and those guys played more snaps. And I was actually trying to go back on PFF and look and see what some of those guys played. Like in, in um, well, 2018 is a bad example because Nick Bosa didn't finish the season. 2017. Nick Bosa, 536 snaps in 14 games. Like, that's not really that many. That's only 40 snaps a game. That's, like, not that crazy, really. So his, he had already started to change maybe a little bit by then. I'm trying to remember what Chase Young was in 2019. The, out, the outlier is Chase. He played 576 snaps, but we have to remember he also missed two games. All right, that so was in 12 he was, games. He's that's the still, outlier here. That's yeah. still not 50 snaps a game. Now, again, it's... It's thrown off a little bit because when teams, it, it you have to almost go by like how many snaps, what percentage of snaps when the game was in competitive games. Anyway, straight yeah. from the point here a little bit, but but he said that there was a time in his career when he was more open to playing guys more snaps, and that one of the reasons he has changed is because he feels like the game has changed, and that now because of. When teams see that you have great pass rushers, they will spread you out more. I mean, that's you know the spread offense, but that's been around for a little while. But it's they'll do things in the screen game and the the horizontal passing mm-hmm. game, and they'll force. It's not to keep the ball away from the defensive ends, or even to like negate the pass rush. Some of it is to make those guys work more and make those guys have to go have more responsibilities and run more and move more. And that that has been a reason why he has done what he's done as far as rotating now i think they're and, I, and then I, I followed up and asked also like so are, are, is that just anecdotal are you tracking that like can you tell by because they do a lot of you know physical analytic type things and he said yes like they can mm-hmm. tell how much guys are running over the course of a game they do it over the course of practices it is something that they follow so at the end of the day that's really not the conversation that people are having though it it's i think people in a in a vacuum like yeah okay you're trying to save your best players to be more energetic and healthier at the most important parts of a game and at the later parts of a season that makes sense i think where things have gone a little askew though is sometimes when it appears the game is on the line and Mm -hmm. the best defensive ends are not out on the field and that's really the only thing that I am thinking about going into the season. I don't really care how many snaps JT Tuomaloa and Jack Sawyer play against Indiana, but don't you want to do something that has those guys in the game with uh, almost without exception in the fourth quarter against Penn State if you're in a one-touchdown game? I, I don't think like you're not looking for a reason to get your Tyler Friday and even Caden Curry level players onto the field in that situation. Like, I think you need your very best guys. So if that means you have to play uh, reserves more early in the game, but then that gets you into a dangerous situation of, because, you know, you've got the wrong guy in the game, and that was happening to the secondary at times last year. Teams can victimize mm-hmm. you when they see the one guy that they can pick on and they can hit a home run. So Larry Johnson's point is 
when you keep guys out there too long and they get worn down, that's when they're going to give up plays. I, I completely understand that. I followed up by saying, but, you know, part of this is that we can look around the country and see other defensive ends playing a lot more snaps for those teams. And he said, no, you got to look at the scheme. Like we play a different scheme. Sometimes that's guys who are really more like outside linebackers, the way they play. I'm like, okay, I, I, I guess I, I follow you there. But I think the big question, it's not something that's going to be decided by the snap count. It's going to be decided by who is on the field the most important times. Like I had a, a, a basketball coach that I covered. I guess I should say Matt Painter, who would whenever this these uh, at Purdue, these these conversations would come up about you know starting lineups. Everybody always wants to know what the starting lineup is, and hey, you change the starting lineup, and you know, sometimes they're just looking for a certain mix to start the game. But his cliched answer, and I, it's one of those times where I think Coach Speak actually is wise, is just worry about who's on the court at the end of the game. That actually tells you who a coach trusts more and who a coach wants on the field for the most important or on the court in that case, the most important parts of the game. So is Larry Johnson doing managing this rotation at end and tackle such that the very best guys are on the field? And we're not kind of looking around the press box sometimes in the fourth quarter being like, what's that about? And, and I think that's what brings me back to the initial point that I made. Because you're right. There were times I remember the Northwestern game, man, where it's a key moment where they've got Northwestern pinned on the goal line and Zach Harrison and JT Twin Maloa are on the sideline. And it's Javante Jean Paptiste, and I, I think it was Tyler Friday, but I can't remember who the average defense. But the, the ones are on the sideline. And you're wondering why are your ones on the sideline in this money situation, basically. And it was such a big deal because there was such a drop-off between the ones and the twos, right? There's a big drop-off between what Zach Harrison and JT Tuimaloau can do for you and what Javante Jean Baptiste can do for you. Now, he might prove that to be otherwise when they play Notre Dame this year. He was on the freaks list, so we'll see. But listen, the point of the matter is two of those guys were five-star recruits who we're expecting to be first-rounders, and the other one was not, even if Zach Harrison did not turn out to be. What if it's a situation this year where we're not looking – it's still the same scenario, but because there isn't such a drop-off from JT2 and Maloau and Jack Sawyer to, like, it's Caden, Cur- Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson out there, especially Kenyatta Jackson with the way he's flashed all offseason, and really Caden Curry, too, with the way he flashed last year. What if there's no drop-off there? What if there is no drop-off from – Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton to Taiwan Malone and Talik Williams. How much does that raise the ceiling? Because now we're not so worried about, oh, you didn't have the starters out there because you've got two units out there who are starter level. Is that a realistic possibility? Or should it just be that, like, it's 31 to 27 against Penn State in the fourth quarter, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, JT Choi Maloa, and Ty, and Ty Hamilton better just be on the field. I think it's more true at tackle, likely more true at tackle than at end. Although, mm-hmm. Kenyatta Jackson might not be that far away. But that only gets you to three. I still don't put Caden Curry in that that tier with those other guys. And I think that even the way that we assume Kenyatta Jackson's career is going to go and the indications we're getting with our eyeballs and our ear holes this spring and in preseason camp is that that's a that's taken him on a different trajectory than maybe what Caden Curry is on. 
So I don't know if you get all the way to four, where you're like, Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry is equal to, to Tumalo out and Sawyer. I do think a defensive tackle that it's a little bit more realistic that you could have just a four man rotation and then throw McKenzie in there as the, you know, the fifth guy and, and you're rolling guys through and that's more or less a wash. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's potentially the case. Um, I really think that, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of what you have laid out subject wise, but I'm becoming I know that because the defensive ends are who they are and it's been a now three year narrative to get us to Sawyer and to him being these bookends together. And now it's their time to just finally shine together and be the combination that they were supposed to be all along. I, I, I I'm not sliding that, but I think that the difference, like the, how special this defensive line can be, I think is going to be more dictated by the interior guys. I think I'm starting to get to that place because today, Larry Johnson is, is acknowledging what they have potentially as a pass rush. And I think he's including Kenyatta Jackson in that at, at the very least, just him and maybe Curry too, but certainly to him, and Sawyer, like he, we know that it's getting to a good place for them. And I think he thinks it could be special, but you think he thinks it's much more, a conversation about how well Ohio State defends on first down than what Ohio State does on third down, if that makes sense. Like, it's more about becoming a great run-stopping defense. Because that was the other thing about 2019. Chase Young got to feast the way he did because that whole defense was so good and that they were so stingy early downs and putting teams behind the eight ball all the time. Like, if they can be a great run defense, and that's going to take better play, frankly, from Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton and Tyreek Williams and the best play that Tywell Malone's had so far in his career. You know, if those guys all step up as run defenders, that's where I think the defense starts to maybe become special just because then you are going to be able to tee off with some guys who are just coming into their prime. I also had a lot of 2.98 yards per carry in 2019, to your point, which was second in the Big Ten behind Penn State in 2019. So to your point, I think I know where you're going with this conversation when you're talking about the defensive tackles. So let's take an early break real quick. And then when we'll come back, we'll discuss that because that that's really, there's four guys are talking about, but we're, this is about two different people, I think. And so we'll discuss that when we come back here on Buckeye talk. Sign up for the text 614-350-3315. Nathan was sending out all types of information of what was going on today. Injury updates, what Larry Johnson was saying, what JT2 Maloa was saying, what Jack was saying, what Taiwan Malone was saying. I was sending out some stuff too, but it was really more exclusive stuff for a story I'm, I'm working on down the line there. But sign up for the text, man, 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial. Best time to get into it because... We're probably within the window about the next seven days finding out who Ohio State's starting quarterback is, and that's going to go to your phone first. Before we pod, before we do anything else, it's going to go to your phone first. Yeah, I, Spe- you sign up sign up this weekend, and not only do you probably get that for free, for free, because you'll be in the two-week free trial. If you sign up like Saturday, Sunday, I think that takes you through the Indiana game. So you can try us all the way out yeah. through the opener and see what the text experience is like for a game. That's actually like just a saying. perfect I'm little not window. Saying, I'm just saying. That's, 
Yeah, that's a perfect little window right there, actually, because I think game day, we get kind of active. We send a lot of texts on game day. I think it got to a point where last year they were like, yo, you guys are sending too many texts. And we're like, what? We, like, yeah, it was too many. We, we had to have a conversation. Our company had a conversation about how we maybe needed to send fewer texts. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a point at which, if I can use the term like critical mass, like economic yes. terms, like there's a point where you get to where you've it's not even profitable anymore because of the charges mm-hmm. for the phones and stuff so yeah. <laughs> we had to like become a little bit more surgical in the way we texted so basically you were getting yours your money worth and more and we were not but listen that's because we we get we, we like doing what we do for a living man it's fun we love covering college football and telling you guys everything you need to know i brought up taiwan malone's name and i want to start with him and my call and ty hamilton i think because I think we came into this with Taiwan Malone because Larry Johnson said it at the end of spring, the idea of the depth that he brings to the room. And with the way we've, we've only seen two practices, but from the flashes we've seen in practice, the way that some of his teammates today talked about him, JT called him a young kid before he realized they're actually the exact same age, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) He's just new. That, he's not young. Yeah. yeah he's like, in fact, I'm pretty sure he's older than JT. But he's the same as a freshman, the, really, in terms of like he's just a guy who showed up this summer and now yes. he's playing. Yes. But how quickly he lost his black stripe, how quickly this has moved along. And you asked Larry this question. You asked him about a guy who he talked about him as depth, but now is he starting to be a little bit more than that? What did Larry have to say about that? Yeah, I mean it's it's I think they're they're excited. There, I think he thought at the time that at the very least, and he was talking about him too at, at, during the summer as being a, you know, a, an aid to their pass rush, that the pass rush was mm-hmm. really his primary way that he could help this team. Um, but I asked, yeah, I asked that question and he said, I think he's going to have a great impact. I think all those guys will uh, think about the inside guys are going to complement each other. Each have something different and each bring something else to the table. And that Malone is part of that. Uh, because again of those those pasture skills that he had talked about, and I followed up with him later uh, as we were having this really nice long side conversation with him today to ask if we get too wrapped up mm-hmm. sometimes in, and maybe maybe there was a time when this was true about positionally what they do at defensive tackle because if you look at let's look at let's use twenty nineteen as an example twenty nineteen twenty twenty is a is a pretty distinct juncture because in twenty nineteen you had. Davon Hamilton is like a clear nose. Mm-hmm. And you had Jay Sean Cornell as like a clear three tech. In fact, he had come as a defensive end. And then BB Landers kind of bounced around like a BB. Um, and then into 2020, you still had a guy on the roster like Tommy Togiai, who's like the textbook definition of a nose tackle, mm-hmm. especially at the college level. Well, then it kind of starts to all start to melt together a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or at least it becomes harder to identify the obvious nose guard candidates. And, or especially guys who would be thought of it exclusively as noses. And I, so I asked him, like, hey, are we, should we be thinking about that distinction less than ever before, almost expecting him to say, yeah, it doesn't matter. And he said, oh, no, it's definitely important. Like it's they clearly make decisions based on that designation still. So 
I thought it was really useful information because we've already had the conversation about how those snaps are going to break up there in the middle. And he said that Tyleek Williams is an obvious three tech. And um, I guess we should start. Let's talk about the other way that that Ty Hamilton is a nose. But that Call him Mike, anchor. Yeah. And that Mike Hall is the other guy that they th- like to play at the nose so much because of what he is athletically and the uh, and the uh, edge that that would give him at that position. And then mm-hmm. that Williams and and I guess McKenzie is is going both ways and then you'd have uh, Williams and Malone are more three tech and then all those guys could probably reasonably play both spots but that that's more how they see that progressing at this point. So it kind of starts to give us an indication of maybe what we'll see as far as pairings, because it makes the idea of playing Hall and Malone together on normal snaps a little bit more accessible than maybe we would have thought of earlier in camp, that maybe those two guys might be a little bit more split up, or or that maybe even Malone would have been more of like a, a nose candidate. But no, it sounds like they think of him more as a three-tech guy, which makes sense coming from the background he did at Ole Miss, where they played a lot of three-man fronts, and he was more of like, I guess, like a four or five-tech as as those def- designations go, and that he makes you know makes more sense to slide him in at a the more edge the more pass rushy of those two positions. Yeah, Ty Hamilton is strictly a nose. He said that Ty Malone was strictly a three tech, and he said that Mike Hall and Tyler Williams can do both, which I think that's what makes it because yeah. now you can get that's how you start to mix and match. You can put Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton on the field together, but you can also put Mike Hall and Ty Malone on the field together. You can also put Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams on the field. That's what you get them. The only thing we won't see is you can basically get every, every pairing. So, so to go back to what I said, you, I think you're right. On the inside, it really doesn't matter because unless it's Taiwan Malone and Ty Hamilton on the field, we're not sure who's playing what. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. when Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams are on the field, they both can do both, and everybody else just kind of mixes and matches from there. Taiwan Malone ju- just got here over the summer, and I don't know how much you were. I I, I asked him because I was just curious what from baseball can actually translate to football because they're two very different sports. You played baseball. He said the hip mobility, sort of, which can. <laughs> well, you know, I, played, I can't play pro. <laughs> I played more baseball than I did football. There you go. <laughs> but I, I did play football too. That's even more of a. There sorter. you go. He said the the. The hip mobility, because of how you swinging a bat shows up when you're trying to, you know, get after when you're pass rushing or trying to stop the run. But he also said that because this is the first year that he's really only focused on football, he has seen his technique really take off. And it was a little advanced already, at least from the way Larry Johnson was talking. And but he he wasn't like I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of he's letting us coach him. He's not saying, like, coach, these are my techniques, and this is what I'm going to stick to. But the technique was already advanced, and he wasn't 100% locked in on football. And so now that it's completely locked in, that might be the reason why this has gone from a, oh, he's a great depth piece, to now it's like, who's their top two? Is it Ty Hamilton and Mike Hall? Is it Mike Hall and Taiwan Malone? Is it Taiwan Malone and Ty Hamilton? I, it's unlocked something simply because he's not worried about playing baseball anymore. 
I think hips might be the most underrated body part in sports. Like everybody talks about Facts. arms because of quarterbacks and pitchers. And you talk about legs and arms for like how strong guys are, but like hips are just so, and especially in football. But I mean, in baseball too, like uh, baseball, I know people talk about, you know, for hitting, they, they refer to it as hand-eye coordination, but the key to like the major league swing is all, you know, opening the hips and, and following through like that and to, to have a real like legitimate swing, which I didn't, by the way, there's <laughs> a reason, a reason what why position did I you said, play? um, infield, but in high school I played third base, but mostly okay. infield. Um, okay. Um, I had I had like an accurate arm. I wouldn't say I had a strong arm. I went to a, also a school in the middle of a bean field with like eight other kids, okay. so it was very easy to make the baseball team and, and kind of play wherever you wanted to. Um, so I'm not here trumpeting. This this should definitely this podcast nor any podcast should be about my athletic prowess or lack thereof. Mm. Um, but in football, it's obviously incredibly important when you. I mean, what's the first thing that like cornerbacks and cornerback coaches? And and prospect people like talk about like oh the, the hip movement the way they can open their hips and and track defenders and 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 track routes and stuff so it it's interesting that he's talking about that in terms of defensive linemen because I don't know if I would have necessarily made that same assumption but I think it does speak to your you know um, ability to slip past people it speaks to your ability to it, to just get that leverage that you need to either redirect something or to you know, to get in the backfield. So that's that's really interesting to hear him talking about it that way. But I thought it was important that, I mean, he's a guy coming in from the SEC. I asked JT Tuomaloa about that. Like, do you, when he's a guy, you know, guys transfer in all time, especially this past year, they've had, you know, 10 or whatever it is. And they're coming from all over the place. They're coming from Louisiana Lafayette and San Diego State and on and on and on. And some of them are, you know, more obvious Big Ten talents than others. And did he right away feel different? Like, did it, could you tell that he was coming from a higher tier? And I expected him to say it in terms of his athleticism and all that stuff. But he said, no, just in the way he carried himself, you could tell that it was different. Like, he came from serious football. And I thought it was important for Larry Johnson to say that about him, too, that he was a guy who, you know, you're coming from the SEC. You could come in with a certain assumption, maybe, of uh, your talents or whatever, and he comes in and knows that he has deficiencies in his game, that he almost, he took a route that was going to leave him with deficiencies in his game after two years, because he was playing baseball, and he loved baseball, and he wanted to play baseball. Um, Playing baseball, also not the reason why I wasn't better at football. There were other Mm. other factors at play. but. I think that he came in and right away said, I've got to get better. You have to get me better. How do I get better? And has now been following through on those things. But people have been mentioning the technique a lot about him. It was Donovan Jackson. I had asked about him uh, earlier this week. And he said the same thing that like, if you, if you have a hand out of place, if you're not, if you're not precise with your technique, Taiwan Malone makes you pay for it in these practice reps that they've been doing. And I think that is, I think that's a more positive thing to be hearing about a player, maybe especially in his circumstances, than if they were coming in and being like, oh, I can't believe how fast this guy is. I can't believe how yeah. strong this guy is. I can't, you know, yeah, okay, you make the freaks list, but do you actually translate it to the field? And he sounds like a guy who showed up, who could already translate some of those things to the field, 
but was like, teach me more, get me, get me to that next level. And I think that's why you've seen so rapidly him go from being like, Hey, this, you know, Tom Malone transferring in like really helps, you know, solve some defensive line depth issues. And now it's like, is Tom Malone, like, could he be their best defensive tackle? We, we, I think that's on the table. As good as my call is, as as good as some of these other guys have been, if if you get to the end of the year and we say, boy, you know, it turned out Tywan Malone was the best defensive tackle on this team, I don't think it'd be a shock. I'm wondering who, we might have to review this halfway through the season, but when we get to the half point, they took two guys from Ole Miss who are originally from Jersey for rooms who needed depth, who needed more options of talent to play. And it was Taiwan Malone at defensive tackle, and it was Davison Igbenosin at cornerback. I am wondering which one of those ends up being the bigger impact to get this season. Because in both situations, there's clear guys that I think we'd all be fine with playing, whether they were here or not. At corner, it's Denzel Burke and it's Jordan Hancock, while at defensive tackle, Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton. It was more about a depth thing within a guy. We needed somebody to come in and start right away. But the way both of those rooms have talked about those individual players, it's whether it's technique, whether it's just a competitiveness, whether it's just the Davis Igbenosin just looks very different than all the other cornerbacks in the room. It feels like they very much raised the level of play in both of those rooms for a defense in dire need of just stars. And whether it's them being the star or they push the Denzel Burke or the Mike Hall to be that star, that sounds like it's happening in both of those rooms. And within this scheme, it's probably good that those are the two rooms that it's happened in. I think this defense needed two things, and I think they, like you're saying, they contributed to both. Number one, they needed to get the depth of this room to a place where when the first injury happened, you weren't putting a true freshman on the field, especially in the secondary. I mean, my God. Like both the last two years when things went awry there. And I don't think it should. I know that at times it was because two guys were hurt, but I still don't think it should put you in this situation where now all of a sudden true freshman, like, I mean, it worked out with Denzel Burke fine in 2021, yeah. but having to start on opening day, a guy who was just trans transitioning full time to cornerback is not plan A. It was not plan. There's no way to argue it's that. Plan, it's not even plan B. <laughs> right. And. And other guys that were playing that season and go into last year with like how much Jair Brown had to play as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. And that's just those guys actually held up OK. It's just not it's not ideal. And I think you can probably make a, a connection between that and things like, oh, the cornerbacks had no interceptions last year. Is it because they were having to give a lot of snaps to true freshmen who had to worry about a lot of other things before they could worry about like making the right break on a ball to intercept it like it, that's not quite in their skill set yet like i think those things probably were a factor so they had to raise the level of of you had to get more positions where you look around and are like wow like the fourth guy on this team would have started last year like they had to get there a little bit more but then also they they do have to raise the star power at really every level of the defense. And you you started to see that happen a little bit. You know, Tommy Eichenberg introduced that at linebacker last year at a different level. Um, I think you you saw certainly flashes of what Lathan Ransom could be with a, maybe if he had had a more conventional offseason. Like if he had not broken his leg in the Rose Bowl, what would Lathan Ransom have been last year? I think that's a fair mm. question to ask. I think you would add 
some percentage onto his performance of like enhance it by some percentage. You know what I mean? Like you would have been 15% better. I don't know, but that would have been a pretty darn good safety. And you certainly started to see it from my call and JT Tumaloa, but it was, it wasn't sustained. And I think they had to add a couple more candidates to help push some of these other guys to sustain those performances or to provide them themselves. Two guys we did not talk about. I mean, talk to who that we expect to have major roles. We didn't talk to Mike Hall. So, but I think we know the deal with him. It's a, can he stay healthy and stay on the field? And we also didn't talk to Kenyatta Jackson, which I think is a big deal that he has been here for a year now and we have not talked to him. And Larry Johnson likes to, you know, keep things under the radar for as long as he can. He's not always inclined to give us the young guys. But we've gotten Caden Curry a bunch the last year, and we have not talked with K- with Kenyatta Jackson, and he knows that we're hyping up Kenyatta Jackson, and so he's not giving us Kenyatta Jackson. I think that is a good sign. And so for our fallen comrade Doug, I think he's he might have been on to something if he had had the chance to drive the bus for Kenyatta, but he didn't. So Kenyatta just doesn't have a bus this year. But I think that's intriguing to me. While with my call, it's just a – I mean, the dude had two and a half sacks in a game where he played seven snaps. So if he's healthy enough to play 35 to 40 snaps a week, maybe not every single week, but if he can do that consistently, what does that open up for the interior defensive line? I want to take one more break, and then I want to have a Jack Sawyer discussion because he said some things today I thought were interesting while also, I mean – He's a five-star recruit who's in year three and is finally going to be able to do the thing that they recruited him to do. So we're going to take one last break, and then we're going to talk about Jack Sawyer when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Nathan, Jack Sawyer spent the 2022 season trying to learn two positions, and it might have stunted his growth at the position he probably should have been focusing on anyway, and yet he still found a way to lead the tie for the lead in sacks with four and a half sacks. When we were talking to him on Thursday, he was saying that he had lost 6 or 7% of his body fat, he'd gotten slimmer, and he had gotten twitchier and gotten some of that explosiveness back that he had maybe lost over the last year and a half when he was bulking up, you know, because he was pretty skinny when he got here. I'm not going to say this guy's going to be a 10.5 sack guy. I'm not going to say that. But we all picked him to lead this team in sacks. And if he was able to do what he was able to do last year while also maybe being stunted in his development because of the jack position, because maybe he was physically not where he needed to be, is he just like, can this be a breakout season? Can he actually be a double-digit sack guy in the waiting now that he's got a chance to actually do what they recruited him to do here? Oh, certainly he can. But Jack, if you're listening, by the way, good news, I found the body fat. You didn't lose it. <laughs> I found it, and I found somebody else's. Can you ask around the locker room if anybody else lost 6 to 30% body fat? I think I found it. Um, no, I think it's fair. I don't look at Jack Sawyer the same way that I looked at Zach Harrison at maybe the same stage, because I don't think the opportunity has been quite the same because mm-hmm. of last year's foray with the Jack. And I know that that's been like roundly criticized as being an experiment that went wrong. And listen, sometimes experiments go wrong. Um, and 
I, I get what they were trying to do there, and I don't think that everyone was on the same page as we alluded to before, and uh, and so they thought better of it this year. And by the way, again, today, you know, we're talking to Mitchell Melton today, and he's kind of like, I, I mean, I guess if we use the jack, I'll probably do that, and I'm doing mm-hmm. both right now, and like, there's a lot of like, the jack seems like it's going to be a big part of this defense when Larry Johnson is no longer the defensive line coach. Yes. It's, kind of, it's the impression <laughs> that I'm getting more and more. Um, but you also, it, it also, not just, I'm really straying here. I'll, I'll bring me back to that point in a second. But as it relates to the Jack, I think there's also an argument to be made that it's, it's, it relate it almost relates to like how we talk about tight ends. Like, I mean, sure we can throw, we can put two tight ends on the field, but we've got to take a receiver off. It's like, well, mm-hmm. we can put somebody, we put Mitchell Melton out there to be the Jack. Does that really make your defense better in any conceivable format? Then if you have JT to allow out Jack Sawyer or Kenyatta Jackson out on the field at that defensive end spot, like that's, I think the conversation that has to happen here. And uh, Jim Knowles never played for a defense that could recruit defensive ends the way Ohio State Correct. recruits defensive ends. So anyway, uh, what were we talking before that? Oh yeah. Jack Sawyer. Jack Sawyer. The other Jack. <laughs> the other Jack, the, the proper Jack. Um, so I don't think of him the way I think of with Harrison, where we were kind of like, um, maybe we've just completely mistaken what he is as a player, not necessarily his quality, but just how it's going to show up on the field. Because I think with Sawyer, yeah. we're seeing the sack production. Like, it's there. It's just mm-hmm. he has not played a starter's load of snaps when you start to extrapolate it over what it would be if he were playing 50 snaps a game. Uh, then I think you start to see something special. I think it's... It, and I think for that reason alone, I think that's within his grasp. The other thing with Sawyer is, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't, he hasn't run into any like injury issues. There's other no. guys who it's been like, it's a recurring thing. And with him, it's been pretty clean. Maybe that's partly because he doesn't, hasn't had to take the big workloads yet. So not like I'm on watch about that, but I, it just, it, it's another thing where I think there's reasonable expectation that, Give this guy the snaps, and you'll probably see a payoff in production. And the other thing about him, too, that I thought you saw during that time with the Jack was there's other things there in his game and that it isn't necessarily just pass rush. That I think he can be a weapon in pursuit. I think he can be a guy who uh, can you know hold his own in the more athletic, you know, horizontal things that a defensive end has to do sometimes in coverage and stuff like that. And I think you, we talk about it so much with JT Tumaloao because of his all-around talents. But I think Jack Sawyer has some of that capability as well. So I'm intrigued by him heavily going into this year, and to the point where I think that you know Tumaloao, because of the game that he had against Penn State, put his name out there in a different way. And Sawyer could be the one that sneaks up on people a little bit around the Big Ten or, or nationally for sure. That he's a guy who might have just gotten a little bit lost in the shuffle and the expectations aren't there because you, you do a shorthand sometimes when you look around at other teams and when you see a guy who's obviously the returning guy at a position uh it can be easy to overlook the other guy and it happens at receiver on this team and it happens elsewhere on this team and i think that it could be happening at defensive end i think the opportunity is there for jack sawyer but i do think he has to answer whether he can play consistently at that level and then follow through on it it just feels like it's not that he can't, it's that he hasn't had the chance to do it as often. Because he only had four less tackles. I think he had four and a half less 
tackles for loss than JT did last year, and he had more sacks. And which goes back to the conversation of, you know, we've had this point of times. JT and Jack aren't the same player. You know, one is probably a better run stopper while the other one's a better pass rusher. But it just feels like a lack of opportunity for a guy that he com- he was the first player to commit to Ohio State with Ryan Day as its head coach. And he spent three years of his high school career coming down on campus because he was 15 minutes away up in Pickerington working with Larry Johnson. And now he spent another three years actually in the program working with Larry Johnson as a guy who was a top five recruit in his recruiting class. That's got to pay off, right? That's got to turn into something here. I don't know. It doesn't get any better than that for Ohio State, for Larry Johnson. You got a five-star recruit to commit to you three years before he had to sign a piece of paper, spent three years during his high school career working with him, and then another three years working with him as a college athlete who was also physically developing. We talk about Chase and we talk about the Bosa's and they are what they are. But this is, I mean, the most hands-on Larry Johnson has ever been with a player. And it just seems like, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and break Chase Young's sack record or anything, but it would just seem like, yeah, he's not going to do. I'm that. saying it's very difficult. It's a very <laughs> difficult thing to do. Like Chase, that record may just that record may just be it. I, I think that's it. Yeah, sixteen and a half sacks is a lot of sacks. That's it's, it's a lot of sacks. But he has the resume and the description of a player who should be a ten sack guy. When you put all of that in perspective, and maybe it's just missing the opportunity to finally go and do it, and now he has that. Well, also. To your point, he didn't really have a game like that the year before, so he's not the first thing people are searching for. They're going to be searching for JT2 and Maloa, and they're going to be searching for Mike Hall first, which might free him up the first couple of weeks to start racking him up before people catch up. Almost, if there were the wide receivers of 21, he's Jackson Smith the Jigba, and JT2 and Maloa and Mike Hall are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. They got all the focus. And so it allowed Jackson Smith, the Jigba, to rack up stats. And before we knew it, it's like, man, maybe this guy's the best one in the room. I think that might be on the table for Jack Sawyer in 2023. Yeah, I, I don't discount it. And especially because it, it, whether it's true or not, it may seem true because yeah. he would be doing it as an edge rusher. Like he'd be actually making the edge rush impact that that shows up in the stats, the way that um, some of the things that JT Tumaloa might do are, it's more nuanced. It's more, uh, it's more hidden in the box score than when you're going out and getting sacks. So yeah, I, I think that the idea that, that Jack Sawyer has a very tangible statistical impact on this defense is certainly, certainly in the cards and it would be, it would be welcome. I don't think that, I don't think there's any, of these guys on his own, I don't look at them as heir apparents at this stage to the Bosa young status tier. Like, I don't think you would have seen it already. I don't think that's there, but I think that what this whole defensive line can be and what those two guys can be in tandem and then throw Kenyatta Jackson possibly rapidly coming up and trying to join that mix I think that can be special in its own right. I don't think it has to look like what it looked like in 2017, 2019, 2014, whatever. I think it can look unique and still be uh, of a significant impact. So, Nathan, talking with the defensive line today, are you higher 
lower or the same on what your expectations are for this unit in 23? Um, I don't know. I think I'm still the same because I was, I mean, we had a conversation a few days ago. When was it? Was it, was it for the uh, statistical preview pod? I can't remember what pod it was, but we were talking about how the defensive line might be the key to this whole thing. Right? If, if, the, yeah. if the defensive line hits, it transforms a lot of things. And, 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 and it's what Larry Johnson was talking about. Like if you become, if that whole front six becomes crazy good at stopping the run, and now you're forcing teams to throw, and especially some of the teams that they're going to face. Like we think, um, you know, we think Notre Dame is has a pretty talented quarterback in Sam Hartman. But I think any quarterback, you even if it is a good quarterback, when you make that offense one dimensional, that puts more pressure on him. That to be precise, you're going to get more shots at him, etc. You know, Wisconsin, we think they're going to open things up a little bit, but are they there yet? as far as where that offense is developing. And if you take away Braylon Allen or limit him and force them to go to the pass more, what does that give you? When you certainly at Michigan, if you can slow them down more on the ground and put the ball in JJ McCarthy's hands and make him do the things that Jim Harbaugh says he can do and go be mm. Patrick Mahomes or whatever, we'll see. Like, but make him beat you. Not don't let Blake Horm and Donovan Edwards in that offensive line beat you. Like you go on down the list. Like, you know, Drew Allard, I think he's pretty good. I think he could have a really good season this year. But if you make them one-dimensional, it, it's 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 happened to Ohio State before. Like I don't think it's a coincidence that when they struggled to run the ball in key situations, especially, let's say, I don't know, the Michigan game last year, then that made things harder on C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud didn't look like the same quarterback. So the same thing follows through. I think that if this defensive line completes this progression that it's been on, from you know Tumaloao and Sawyer coming in as true freshmen, getting a taste, Tumaloao even starting some games that year, and now this progression that it's been building towards. You take keep Mike Hall healthy, add Taiwan Malone to the mix. You got Ty Hamilton now trying to do what his brother did and just get more valuable every year until all of a sudden you look down and he's one of the best defensive tackles in the Big Ten. Like you see this developing week by week and now year by year, and I think the potential is there that. If the defensive line completes that third year, fourth year development for these guys, and it's there's kind of an arrival, then I think that makes this defense special. It, it's going to change everything that happens behind this defense. If that doesn't happen, if this defensive line is still kind of just good, then I think this team could still be very good, and maybe this team can still ultimately do great things. I just think there's going to be more volatility, and you're a little bit more vulnerable to that week where. Uh, you're not stopping the run and now you're back on your heels and here we are at Michigan again. I think I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think Jim Knowles did a great job of helping this defense finally take a leap last year in the right direction. And I think now we're talking about personnel taking that leap to complete that. And that starts up front with the defensive line. I don't think I'm higher. I think I'm the same. I think, think my intrigue about some guys is maybe changed in a way that I think I, I I don't remember offhand, and I'm not asking you to go look this up. I think with Jack, I said he would have like eight and a half sacks on the market down Monday. I think I might have raised that maybe a sack and a half had we done that after we talked to him. But that's why we do it beforehand because then, you know, you got to stick with your answers there. That'll wrap up the week. 
Ohio State will scrimmage on Saturday. We will not be there once again. But you know, we're, we're in the window here of maybe some things happen in that scrimmage where they start to solidify some starters, whether that's quarterback or offensive line or no, this is just pretty much a quarterback offensive line discussion. It feels like everything else is pretty locked up. Uh, we're supposed to get wide receivers and special teams next week, and we're also supposed to talk with Day and the quarterbacks again. But that quarterbacks one is very TBD, so we'll see how that plays out there. Monday is another market down Monday. Nathan, what what we what are we marking down on Monday, or should we just you know tease it and not tell people what it is and make them tune in? Well, we're coming up on it, right? I mean, we've only got two mm-hmm. market down Mondays left, and then it's game week for the season opener. So we always do a will Ohio State win the national championship market down Monday. That'll be the last one. The one we do before yep. that traditionally is the one we'll do on Monday, which is who's going to win the Heisman Trophy in 2023. And I'll be interested to see, because we're going to record it tomorrow. So before well, Saturday scrimmage, before we technically today. know anything, Friday, today. yes, Friday. We're recording yeah. it Friday, today. Yeah. Um, will anybody mark down that Ohio State's starting quarterback will be a Heisman finalist, which has happened four times in the last five years and one other season that was still partially worthy of it. Um, will somebody mark that down or will the uncertainty right now, either for the identity of the quarterback or how good that quarterback is playing, prevent us from taking that leap? But we're each going to give, we're going to give a top three, Steven, Andrew and I, and we'll see how it goes. So tune on for Monday for that one. Other than that, like I said, sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. We're not going to be at the scrimmage, so we won't be able to tell you anything that happened at the scrimmage. But if some news breaks off coming out of that scrimmage, then listen, we'll text it first, and then we'll write about it. And then we'll do a video about it. And then we'll pot about it. But we'll always text first about it. For Nathan Baird, I'm Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.